Storm Bowling Products, the bowler's company, presents the Collegiate Spotlight with Coach K. Storm's technical director, Steve Klimkin, also known as Coach K, and Above180.com's Tim Berg are going to introduce you to a variety of collegiate players, coaches, and key people involved in promoting the sport of bowling. Now here's Coach K and Tim Berg. Joining us this week on the Storm Collegiate Spotlight is Norm Titus. Norm is the Martin Methodist College head bowling coach, the Red Hawks. If you want to check out more on the team, check out GoRedHawks.com. Norm spent five years on the PBA tour and captured seven regional titles. He's a silver certified USBC coach. Norm, I want to thank you for joining us today. Hey, thanks. It's glad to be here, man. I was happy when Steve Facebooked me and actually got a chance to say some things I typically don't get to say to people that I would never hear. <laughs> Well, Norm, let's begin. You are the head coach. This is your third year at Martin Methodist College. So talk us through how you became the head coach and then, you know, where, where you're going with this program and, and your, a little bit of your bowling background. Right. Well, the, the college actually had a team, Steve. Uh, they picked a team up in 2005. They started a team. Of course, eventually, when they initially started it, there was only nine kids uh, one girl. There was no girls' team, so it was going to be, you know, had to be a co-ed if she was going to bowl. But uh, as it was, she didn't bowl, and they we ended up the following year instituted a girls' program. I was the assistant coach, and the, the, the actual head coach that they that started the program was a girl by the name of Heather Wright, and she was an assistant softball coach. And they started the program by letting her become a head coach, which I've come to realize has happened quite often in college bowling especially high school, but more so than I would ever imagine. Once I got to following them, I thought every coach in college would be, you know, very bowling knowledgeable. However, it doesn't tend to be the case. It's becoming more prevalent now, but I became the head coach. I want to say uh, Heather's been gone. I, I was made the head coach when she left. So I'm going to guess, Steve, this is probably my fifth year being a head coach mm. at Martin and, uh, you know, as I got into it, they, I don't think when the college started the bowling team, they didn't have any idea of what it could become. And I think, you know, from an admission standpoint, our college only has about right now a thousand to twelve hundred kids that are full students, and only about three hundred and I'm going to guess three twenty. So don't quote me, of course, but three twenty or so are living on campus. Most of them are athletically, you know, through athlete through athletics. And wh- and where is Martin Methodist College? More Methodist College in Pulaski, Tennessee, which is it's closer to Alabama, but it's about, I'm going to guess it's probably 60, 60 miles south of Nashville. Well, you guys have a, I mean, as far as the website goes, goredhawks.com. You have a, a nice uh, website there for sure. There's a lot of good information, information about the players and the different sporting programs. Um, what do you... Uh, what do you see out of some of the, you know, you've got some good young players as well on, on your program. I know Justin Miller and A.J. Ruff are two of the names that, that I've noticed, and I think even, I think even A.J. Um, led the entire tournament in Cincinnati as, for an, as an individual uh, player. So you've got some great talented players. Is it easier for them to kind of focus on their bowling in a small town like this, or is it maybe a little bit more challenging because it's a small school? Well, I, I do have, I have an unbelievably what I consider talented group, uh, Justin's probably, he bowls almost everything. Talking, He bowls a lot of junior gold stuff along with Eli Haddock and a kid by the name of Derek Phillips, who's a two-hander. A.J. did get to bowl a lot before. A.J. came out of a town called Jamestown, Tennessee, which is 
kind of up in the middle of nowhere. He bowled Nate Lane Wood Center his whole life. And uh, I had a couple mm. other kids that came from that York Institute way back when. And, and uh, this AJ kind of took a liking to one of them and ended up getting to me. And he's really a talented player. He does some really tricky stuff with his hand. But, uh, you know, mm. like everything else, you can be a hell of a good player, a good bowler, or throw a bowling ball real well and maybe never really catch the niche that turns you into a good bowler. You know, but I think uh, I think the school has done an unbelievable job at helping out the program, so to speak. It's their program, obviously, but they get a, we have a 32 passenger bus that takes the kids to practice every day. You know, so we don't have kids driving. We don't have a bowling center no within 25 miles of the bowling of the college. So it's you know it, it's I think it's a little bit against them. However, when me and Heather first started talking way back when about what we needed to offer the kids to give the school a chance to be to bring in you know kids of high caliber and become a somewhat successful program, I thought that some way of transportation would be something that parents would really would really look into. Meaning, kids can have vehicles as freshmen. Some schools, I think, they say they make a rule against it. I don't know if it's a parking issue or what. But Martin has they want the kids to have vehicles or allow them to anyway. But the idea of kids driving 25, 30 miles to practice three to four days a week scares me to death. Everybody knows that you have kids on the road at that age that often. Something bad might happen. So yeah. the school really has done a lot. So I don't know if it's definitely if it's an advantage to focus on bowling, you know, if it's easier for them or not. But the kids, the kids do seem to do a pretty good job. I've learned to recruit uh, non-typical type players. I usually use parents as a recruiting tool you know know that the parents are behind the bowling and everything else as much as as much as possible well so let's talk about when you recruit new players like you mentioned you're in a smaller town how are you able to do that and what's your uh, what's your your thought and your perspective on how to recruit a player or how you bring someone into to your program well i i, I know that growing up when i was at the age of getting ready to go to a high school or go from high school to college i played a lot of baseball i was Dead fast on playing Major League Baseball. But everybody knows if you've done it long enough, that's a tough road to go. So bowling to me became a, a second avenue. And at the time I was going through college uh, or getting ready to go to college, I played baseball. And I was thinking of going to bowl. Of course, being in New Jersey where I grew up, their school, they had, a good, they had a good bowling school there. I forget the name of it, Steve. You probably remember it. The uh, school right in Jersey City there. Oh, anyway, William Patterson is one William of the Patterson, right. They had, yeah. you know, they had uh, Chris Soul and Chris Miley. I mean, guys that, that, that people follow bowling, they knew that name, them names for a long time. And they were so loaded that I was kind of discouraged, meaning the guy really didn't need another player. So, anyway, I went to work on bowling and became a, became, you know, started bowling PBA event. But when it comes to recruiting, some of the worry thing that I thought that worries me is over recruiting a kid, meaning making it seem too special, make, you know, selling too much of a sales pitch. I, I way rather talk a kid down, make sure that they absolutely know that the area, they'll be comfortable in a small town, that they'll be comfortable with small classes, that they'll be comfortable that there's not all that much to do. I mean, if the kids want to go do something, meaning clubbing and all that stuff that kids do, it's Nashville or Huntsville, and neither one of those are very close. So in that respect, I try to under-recruit. Like, I feel bad sometimes when I... I don't feed the kid or the parents enough, so to speak, baloney, so that they feel really comfortable. But I'd way rather have them feel that way than, than overdo it. I don't know if that's the right way to do things, but I always wanted it done that way to me. I, I'd hate to have somebody BS me into thinking that was something I wasn't. 
Well, your your programs definitely had some success, and and especially as of recently, you guys have have done um, really well in the tournaments there. Now, you mentioned that uh, you've got you know some players on your team, uh, for example, that are that are two-handed. Um, you also have you know there's a lot of different coaches that we've spoken to that you know some people spend um, some time or more time on the physical game, other people spend more time on the mental game, other people spend more time on strategy for playing lanes and, and uh, equipment and layouts and that kind of stuff. How do, you, how do you break down your coaching and training sessions in terms of what do you, in general, what do you focus on when you are well, having your practices? If I, if I have a, my weakest spot by far is structure, meaning when I, my practices are typically from three to five, almost usually this year we've been pretty, relegate, pretty, pretty regimented on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we usually travel on a Friday or kids want to go home, you know, so we're, we're traveling. Of course, we don't practice Friday. So usually we just practice Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, two hours, three to five. And what I typically do, what I call it's kind of, I call it spot coaching, meaning I don't like to drum over and over. Contrary to popular belief that people know me and, have, you know, like you've been around for a while and known me for a little bit. I typically don't, I get tired of hearing myself say the same thing, which means, you know, if, look, I think they're, the game is fairly simple. Now, apparently it's not as simple as I thought or everybody'd be, everybody'd get good real fast and they kind of hit a wall. But I, I spot coach, like I'll tell one kid, because, you know, you can't tell a two-hander the same thing as you're telling a, uh, a one-handed stroker and you can't tell a, or, you know, a normal player, I guess, instead of one-handed. But you, you, know, you can't tell them the same thing. What works for you, Steve, might not work for Lonnie Wallachek, and you guys I know are good friends. So there's different ways, and I feel like I've almost had to become a psychologist trying to explain different ways to get through to kids the same basic message. You know, the swing lines are, are important. That uh, I, I typically focus on two types of ball roll. I want you to be able to roll a ball end over end, and I want you to be able to kind of what I call twirl or soft hand float a ball the best you can, you know, kind of like Pete Weber would do. And I know nobody's going to be great at both of them. Everybody's got something their, their A game is closer to, so I focus on that. But I try to get them to add that little tool that can get you through a couple games in a block until they get where you need them to. So as far as classroom type stuff, I, I'm really not that good at it. You know, I, I – I typically talk to kids one-on-one a lot when I'm talking about equipment, you know, because I don't want it to run over. and I don't want anybody to think there's a generalization of this is how it goes. Because I know and you know there are so many different variables and so many different ways of bowling. You don't necessarily have to say this is correct. You know, there's, there are a few things that everybody that bowls at the highest level, and I say that the professional level and maybe slightly below that, they all basically do the same things. There's, you know, there, there's the right and wrong. Whether they do, how they achieve that, I, that's kind of how I, I look at it. I don't know if that makes sense to you. Yep, it certainly does. So, talk about you were with Kegel for five years, doing some research and development and testing of lane patterns and such. Talk about how you bring some of that experience to your team. Well, you know, I was at Kegel. It was probably the, the most fun I had in in being say, retired from bowling, you know, not, not competing at the, at the highest level there on tour and, and regionals. But I learned so much at Kegel, and that was right during the time when the ABC slash USBC was playing with sport patterns. And I worked hand-in-hand with my roommate on tour, Billy Guthrie, and we, 
we actually created those first two-to-one front-to-back, left-to-right patterns, the 37-footer, the 41-footer. I mean, we spent months fooling with them patterns so we could release them and know that they were full tapes. And their first initial sport program, them patterns came from Billy and I. So and not only that, I bowled close to 30 to 50 games a day on all the chemist oil. You know, I, I was basically their so-called throwbot, you know. And uh, I guess just the bowling and, and reading motion that I needed to read to make sure that the oils were playing good along with the, the, you know, the data that the chemist was drawing from it. Uh, really, I, I, it seemed to like I can express and explain that feel that some people have a void for, meaning you see a ball starting to pick it up ball you can go to. Of course, that was always a thing from, of mine. It got good from being around Ryan Schaefer and them guys that are such experts on tour, and I picked their brain constantly, and hopefully these kids are, are using using me as, as the same situation. I'm trying to give away all that information so that they can identify ball motion with lane or oil breakdown or condition or breakdown, as Kegel would call it. It's not really oil. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's really cool, uh, Norm, that you were involved with that as far as oil pattern uh, design goes and uh, such a key part of our sport. And, you know, there's a lot of people when they look at oil patterns, it's kind of a bit of a mystery to them, you know, where they're, uh, right. you know, they really don't. I mean, there's a lot of people that average 200, 210, 220 that really don't, don't, they don't get it, you know, because you yeah. can't see it. So it's, uh, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to kind of wrap your arms around that. And Kegel has, has definitely done a really, you know, nice job trying to educate, you know, the bowling centers and the bowlers and the pro shops and on all these different types of, of conditions. Do you, uh, do you like the direction um, that they have gone the last couple of years as far as lane conditions go? And by that, I just mean that it's, you know, bowling on tougher, flatter, more challenging conditions for the most well, part. Because back in the day, it used to be, you know, college tournaments would be very high scoring. They, they, they were uh, one of the tournaments in St. Louis, you know, you'd have to average – uh, 248 to to make the all tournament team. Right. See, I never was around. Like I said, Steve, I know you had a few bowls in college with some of the, if not the best team that ever assembled, probably some of them right there through that time. And I know that I got to, like I tell these kids all the time, one of the things that, that I could say that, that I use, I said, the kids always want to bowl on the perspective pattern we're going to bowl on. That's one of the issues that I argue with all the time. I understand that. And they want me to. We're gonna. We got. They released the pattern on Monday, and we want to put it out and bowl on it all week. And my thing is, why? And they'll say, "Well, we want to know what to take ball wise." I said, "How you're going to bowl on a different surface, probably out of a different machine." I go, "You guys are all you're going to do is have a preconceived notion." Now that preconceived notion, Steve, like you know, these kids today, they all have that. They always have. They say they're going to bowl on this pattern, and they name it. They, you know, then they know that that's the pattern they bowled on. They threw these bowl balls. Well. You know, what happens if you happen to bowl on that pattern on an old wood center? It ain't going to play like it did on brand-new Clemson Pro Hambling. So why do you want to have your brain into that? We grew up, at least I grew up bowling and practicing on, on a course of house pattern, like you're talking about where they bowled in college on that. And so I had to learn how to do things in a pattern that wasn't, you know, wasn't even rem- I didn't have a clue what it was. I just threw a bowling ball. So I like the fact that people are educated, but I wish they'd take it one more level and know still What's optimum is the ability to do different things with your hands, different things with ball speeds. And some of these kids get so pigeonholed, if that's the way they speak it, in their brain, that they, they, they just get stubborn. Well, this ball worked great at home. We're not home anymore. A driver works great on hole one and at La Paloma. Maybe it's not so good somewhere else. I mean, what, what, it's a different hole. It's a different number. It's got a different number on it. It's amazing to me how stubborn they'll get. 
you know, with that, or their inability to open their brain, I really don't know. So I, I stress that a lot, you know, and I do most of my, my coaching, like, like we're just talking about a couple, few, few questions back at the tournament. I said, you guys have got to learn to bowl at these tournaments because it's not, it isn't practice. You know, there's a difference to throwing it when you have to throw it and whatever you're bowling on, your ball does X and you're thinking it was going to do Y and you've got to be able to adapt to that. So how do you take, take your kids when they go from a tournament, you're bowling, like you said, three days a week, and then you go to the actual tournament and bowl. How do you keep them from just the experience overwhelming folks and either their speed is off or they're, they're, you're, they're throwing it faster or there's something they're doing different, little habit they, de- they develop just in that day, just in that moment. How do you keep them from getting too big on the experience, I guess you could say? Well, I mean, you know as well as I do, I never made a PBA show. Steve, did you ever make a show? I no, I uh, I the telecasts that I have yeah. had bowled on were usually through uh, world world team challenges and some of the right. Team USA stuff, but not a not a, on the PBA level. So I never I I had seven regional titles, and uh, I can't ever remember feeling overwhelmed by that moment because it wasn't a TV show. I did bowl on the TV setting, uh, say on. Uh, at a tournament at Boardwalk in, in Florida in 2002, I believe. And I made the round of 16, I think, when they used to break down the top 16 would bowl at them different times in the show, in the same TV show setting. And I can remember, I bowled Jason Couch in a match, and I can remember feeling a little bit uneasy when I started. And my main reason for being uneasy was the fact that I swear a lot when I bowl good, meaning... <laughs> I, I get your I get the pumped up and swear words come flying out and there was a woman that was less than probably fifteen inches from my head when I would finish at the foul line, so I, I I can remember being uneasy about that. But to get back with the kids, I don't think after their first couple tournaments as freshmen, if they're going to be full time players, I think they get over that where it's no longer a big deal, you know. And that's why one of the coaching things that I try to stress is I try to find kids that I think have a chance of bowling together for three and two and three and four years. And I'm sure if you remember how big the, maybe at Wichita, it wasn't that way, but at least some of these small schools, the turnover is immense. You get kids that can't wait to come to school to bowl. And then one semester in, they didn't go to class. They didn't mm-hmm. like to coach. Next thing you know, your turnover, you got new kids. You're trying to break in and get used to bowling together. So now my, some of my success is I got three and four kids that have been together at least two years and three of them for three years as juniors. And after that initial thing, I think they kind of get over on their own, and they know it's just bowling, just like they bowled in league at home. Some of them not so fast, but after a while, once they realize that I'm there and that I, I can get them in the right ball, the right place, they start to get some faith in me, and I think that kind of smooths out, and it's not so bad. Kind of keeping them grounded a little bit, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I joke around a lot. Like, you know, you know my personality pretty well, and as long as the kids are, you know... I, I like I do yell like a lot of the college coaches. I, I had one this weekend. We just got back from a, from a tournament. It was a unique weekend. We had a, one tournament one day in Erlanger, Kentucky, on a really really rough wood surface, which is probably the hookingest surface you ever bowled on. And then one on Sunday in Lexington, Kentucky, where they bowled Bradley. I don't know if you've heard of that tournament. It's a pretty big tournament right here in Kentucky. Oh yeah, every year they you run. Bet. And that, that building at Eastland Lanes is quite possibly one of the. the slickest frictions or at least it plays tighter uh, as any so we went from one extreme to another and uh my kids you know even though i told them it was coming i bowled in her i had i bowled in her to tour stop 
and I also bowled in Eastland at the Bradley, so I told him what was going to happen getting there, and even though I had told him and warned him, you know, they, they still had that slight panic on Sunday when their ball never hooked a board comparative to what it did on, on Saturday. So there's still some panic if they have their brain wrapped around it, but I get, and I, oh, I started saying it because I get on to them some, and I've had people come to me and go, man, you need to chill out a little. I see, I don't understand that. I like, I have a sense of urgency in some of these kids that I like them to have it too. You know, there's a time, not really to panic, but there's a time for, for, for action. There's a time to change what's going on because what you're doing ain't working. And I try to yeah. shake that out of the kids. And I think some of the parents kind of, you know, I keep it clean. I just get pretty intense. And they kind of look at me like, geez, this guy's awful intense with, about bowling. But, I mean, after all, it's all I've ever done. It's, I bring the same intensity to a softball game, to a, as I would war, I guess. And it's kind of, sometimes I, I, I get, people get taken back a little, I guess. Well, last, last question I have for you, Norm, then, is uh, what, what kind of advice, you know, we do have quite a few younger listeners uh, to this podcast, people that are in high school that are, you know, considering uh, bowling in college, and a lot of them have, you know, aspirations of just, you know, maybe jumping and, and participating uh, right at the PBA level. Um, what kind of advice do you have for those younger players who are, you know, thinking about collegiate bowling experience-wise? Well, to be right now, I tell my kids every year at the beginning of the year, and it's, I, I have, I'm torn, Steve, because I love TVA events. To me, when we were bowling, I'm not a 100% fan of the format now versus what it used to be. I think the the U.S. Open and the long format, even the short 18-game formats, qualifying 24-game and match play, those were the best tournaments in the world. I don't care what anybody says. Those formats were the best. They still are the best. So, but, in, you know, everything has to progress, so to speak, and the college level right now, the talent that's in the college level right now is unbelievable. Every team, damn near, whether the team is good or not, has a kid on it that's, that could could realistically go bowl PBA events and not get, from a physical look, laughed out of the building. I can remember bowling tournaments where there was always a couple guys, and bless their heart for trying and everything else, but they would be three, 400 under, which a lot of the big players felt like that was an embarrassment to them. You know, that they would come bowl that tournament, and they were, you know, they were so bad that people would call them a PBA, and it was so, so to speak, tarnishing them. I never felt like that, but I know that it was, you know, that's part of the thing that started this new format happening because they wanted to make an elite field, and they didn't want all that. But at the college level right now, these tournaments are, are as good as I think they can be run. You know, I mean, Gary Brown with the college bowling and, and the people that are in order running the tournaments – I tell the kids every year, this is basically your guys and girls' professional bowling career. You know, use it like that. I'm very hard on my kids with appearance. You know, I, I, can't, I tell them dress pants, guys bowling black dress pants, black socks, and whatever, whatever shirts we use. And I don't want to see dress. I want dress shoes on, on bowling day. I don't like seeing dress pants and sneakers, Steve. That's not good. That looks funny. Mm. I don't want to see black dress pants and white socks. Come on. You know, I say you guys got to... <laughs> Act as if this is your PBA career, you know, or your professional career anyway. You know, I want them to wake up in the morning and be prepared to bowl. I don't want you to look like you just come out of a dumpster. You just, some of these kids look like they just woke up. They don't even bother taking a shower. They don't wash their face, nothing. I go, what in the hell is going on here? So I stress that on my kids, and for a group as a whole, the high school kids, I would just make sure that you really know 
when you decide what college to go bowl for, that everything fits ahead of the bowling. You know, I tell my kids there's three things that's important. In my, if you want my, meaning my, my program, when you go to come here before you sign a bowl for me, family, school, bowling, in that order. If those three things are in that order, I will never, ever have a problem with you in any way, shape, or form unless you do something off the wall and get yourself in trouble. But I don't like when other things get in the way of my bowl. My little school, Martin Methodist College, gives away a lot of money. You know, they do a really good job of helping out, and there's a lot of kids that get to go to school for bowling that may never go to school or may go one semester or two at a little junior college and then quit and go to work. So I want them to appreciate that. I want them to respect the school and the people that are involved in giving them that opportunity. And for the most part, I have a pretty good group of kids. You know, when you bring in eight or nine kids a year, chances are one or two of them aren't going to pull it off, but... The numbers still aren't that bad. I think it's the the right way to look at it. Well, Norm, great stuff as always, and uh, thank you for joining us, and all the best of continued success down there at Martin Methodist College, and uh, we'll have you on again soon, okay? I sure hope so, Steve. I appreciate it. Thanks. Hey, thanks, Norm. Appreciate it.